Hello again. So, the Football History Podcast. The first two episodes of the Football History Podcast came pretty easily to me. I was intrigued about what people thought about the FA's 1921 ban on women's football at the time, so that obviously became episode one. And then in things I read for that, it was mentioned a couple of times that the FA had taken some stick for letting the 1914-1915 season take place as normal, despite the outbreak of World War I, and so that became episode two. I thought it made sense to go into these podcasts thinking of them as a limited series, rather than vaguely planning to do it weekly right from the outset. And I figured three would be a good number, but I couldn't think of a third topic. I realised after I'd planned the first two that I'd hit 1921 and 1914, which is seven years apart. So maybe another seven years either way might be good. And hey, the financial crisis and Great Depression starting in 1929 is almost seven years away. So why not that? Unfortunately, I found it tough to find existing work about the Great Depression's impact on English football, although that's probably a case of looking in the wrong places than it not being there. But in a roundabout way, it led me to the Rudolf Haydn affair, and through that, all of the other spats that Arsenal and the FA were having at the time. The main existing work I owe this episode to is Jerry Farrell's article in The Football Pink about English football's relationship with immigration and foreign footballers, which I found online but was originally from issue 21 and is an interesting read in itself, going down a slightly different route to the way this podcast went. It was what I first read about Haydn and started me off down this whole topic, although I also later found articles about the whole Haydn affair on The Independence and The Guardian, and also in Matthew Taylor's book The Leaguers, The Making of Professional Football in England, 1900-1939. For most of the rest of it, though, I was piecing it together with things from the British newspaper archive. I may have already mentioned this on each of the previous bonus pods, but it's been an invaluable resource for me, albeit one that you have to spend to get full access to. Arsenal's club website and thearsenalhistory.com were also useful things to have as background and to check things against. So we had Haydn, Harper, The Clock, Floodlights and Cameron, but that wasn't all of the disagreements that involved Arsenal and the FA that season. There was also a bit of an off-pitch scuffle, which was broader than just the Gunners, and that's why it didn't. Part of that, that's part of the reason why it didn't make it into the main episode uh, around radio broadcasts of matches. The whole thing is so large and goes into kind of history of of broadcasts of of football in itself, uh, and so it deserves its own thing rather than being crowbarred into an Arsenal-specific podcast. But long story short is that many of the arguments about TV broadcasts now were happening around radio back in the late 1920s and into the 1930s. And in the end, the FA banned radio commentaries for most matches. I found this episode really, really fun to do, just to look back 90 years into the past at what people were thinking about football and where it might be headed. A spread in the whole Daily Mail has two particularly great nuggets some dispute between Huddersfield Town and the FA over payments to be made or something, led a writer to say, Alarmists magnified the dispute with Huddersfield Town into the basis for a split between the FA and the Football League. Fortunately, nothing of the sort will occur. And it then goes on onto a comment about Huddersfield. 
And sure, it took 60 years for the Premier League to splinter off from the Football League and gradually cause some trouble with a triangle of competing interests between the FA, the Football League and the Premier League. But it's really fun to imagine that this is the kind of thing that was on people's minds back then. Just below it, in page 5 of 8 of the 19th of July 1930 edition, is a segment called Example on the Continent. Someday, I presume, Hull City or some other believers in the rugby league device of numbering players on the field to correspond with names in the official programmes will make another and more courageous attempt to persuade the Football League to adopt the same very helpful method of identifying strange players. I'll jump back in here briefly because this sentence, even as someone who writes lengthy sentences myself, is a little wordy. Basically, players didn't wear shirt numbers in football back then, but they seem to have done in rugby league, and it'd be nice if someone persuaded the football league to bring that practice over to football too. Back to 1930. On the continent, some of the clubs go further in relation to the organisation of the association game, and by means of electrically controlled indicators record the time, minute by minute, and the state of the game and the scorers. Electronic scoreboards! I've never thought about the history of them before, but I can definitely see how, if they were used abroad and not in England, you'd want them at grounds you were watching football at. It's so weird to think that back in the day, scoreboards were something people cast a covetous eye over the channel about. Finally, I'll return again to the subject of floodlights. If you remember from the main show, there was a trial match using artificial light in the final of a local cup competition in February 1930. Very small scale in terms of the profile of the match, but it certainly made waves in the press. This particular article in the Daily Herald on the 25th of February 1930 is a piece questioning whether artificial light would work all the time and in bad weather, but it has maybe my favourite drop intro I've ever read. A few months ago, while travelling on the underground on my way to visit the headquarters of the Arsenal Football Club, I had a peculiar dream which I related in the Daily Herald. I imagined that when I was received by an official at the Arsenal ground, he said that the Arsenal were seriously thinking of joining a World Football League. The Arsenal were to call themselves London, brackets Great Britain, and they would fulfil matches with teams in New York, Paris, Berlin, Vienna, Madrid, Brussels and other big cities representing their respective countries. All the matches would be played in the evenings. No one would stand, and even the cheaper seats would be well upholstered like those at a cinema. All seated stadiums with plush seats. A football league played in the biggest footballing cities of the world. There's only ten years until the picture painted by that writer is a century old. But I wonder whether the European Super League will have become a reality by then. <laughs> 